The second lesson is from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts it as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, true, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at that time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. Amen. I can't tell you what sort of glee it is to come to a passage like Hebrews 12 in the midst of the Olympics. I mean, the illustrations are just nonstop. I went through about 12 cheesy sermon titles before I decided to not make you endure any of that. I did, however, run across two different articles about the Olympics this week that were completely different. One of them was very serious and very inspiring, and the other one was from a joke news outlet. And the joke article started like this. Well, this is probably the most heartbreaking story of the entire Rio Olympics. When Samantha Bennett first started thinking about gymnastics at the Olympic Games in Rio, she probably imagined herself standing at the top of the medal podium, receiving the gold medal for the women's individual all around. She probably imagined the crowd chanting her name after she completed a flawless floor routine. Unfortunately, Bennett's Olympic dreams were tragically dashed when she failed to spend her entire life training to become really good at gymnastics. <laughs> this is the sort of devastating setback you hate to see at the Olympics. And it goes on and on from there about how she didn't spend her whole life training. The second one was actually a video on Atlantic Monthly's site called Fencing While Black, and it's about this young girl named Nzinga. Her mother named her for uh, a warrior princess. And she's an inner-city kid who's competing in the Olympics in fencing, and she's been taught by this man named Peter Westbrook. 
Peter Westbrook started fencing at a time when the New York Athletic Club still did not allow African Americans to join. And so he decided that he was going to start a fencing school for any inner city children to teach them discipline and passion and hard work. And Nzinga is one of his students. And the video is almost like a Rocky Balboa montage. She's just like pouring sweat, running, lifting weights, fencing, doing all the dance moves. And she has these little clips of phrases that are just incredible. Fencing's always on my mind, she says. It can be hard to find motivation to do this every day. But when I saw people in my club going to the Olympics, I saw how hard they were training. And then they came back with medals. And the last line that she says in the video is absolutely staggering, both in terms of her own life and, and theologically. She says, I am a product of all of Peter's love. This section to the letter of the Hebrews, or to the Hebrews rather, is packed full of rich theological truths that we could spend months unpacking. But since we don't have months, I want to give you a handful of ideas, just sort of scattershot, work our way through this passage, that I, I really encourage you, get out your Bible this week and read through Hebrews 11 and 12 and meditate on what it says. And I'm telling you, it will change your life. It will. Here's the first thing I want you to know. If you've been baptized into the church, you are in a race. Whether you realized it or not when you became a Christian, whether you understood as much when you were plunged into the waters of baptism, when you placed your faith in Christ, it's not just that he came to dwell in you and become your special friend, though he did. That's true, and it's incredible. But you also became incorporated into him. You have been set out on a pilgrimage of faith that will require endurance beyond anything you can possibly imagine. So you can't be like the woman from the first article and dream about performing in the Olympics while sitting on your couch dipping Cheetos and mayonnaise, just dreaming of all the amazing things. And you absolutely have to realize you are already in a race. You're already there but also know that you're not alone. Just like Nzinga began to look around her fencing club at those who had gone before her, those who had endured unto the end and come away with the prize, so she was challenged to follow in their footsteps. But unlike an Olympic competition, you are not competing against others. Yes, you are involved in a race that is much like a marathon, but it's not a race of competition, it's a race of endurance, and you are part of a pack of pilgrims. It's actually stronger than that. You are part of the one body. There is a great cloud of saints, all of whom have passed on this road before us, all of whom are present to us in Christ. The writer of Hebrews spends a breathtaking chapter in chapter 11, going through the lives of all the Old Testament saints. All those that, while they were living, had never experienced the reality of Christ incarnated, crucified, risen, and ascended. And last week, we looked at one of those saints in our Old Testament lesson. We saw the complaint and faith of Abram being tied together as he learned to trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances. 
And we don't have time to retell the stories of Moses and Joseph and David and Rahab and Isaac and Enoch. But Hebrews 11 ends by saying, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they, they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had something planned better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. You are not alone. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The race is a corporate race, not an individual race. You're not alone. Which means, in a negative sense, what you do in your life when you become a baptized person no longer just affects you. It now affects the entire body, the whole church. What you do with your body, your time, your money, your prayer life, your faith, it all ripples out into the body of Christ. But it also means in a positive sense that when you grow weary, you have a cloud of saints encouraging you, pulling you onward. Those that have gone on before and those that are sitting around you right now. Not only that, but you have an opportunity to be that voice of cheer and encouragement to those whose faith is flagging, to those who are growing weary. You are not alone. You're in a race, and you're not alone but you're probably weighed down. Verse 1 of chapter 12 tells us that there are hindrances, sometimes translated as weights or entanglements, and sins that cling closely. These are related, but they're not the same thing. The hindrances aren't necessarily sinful things. They could be very good things, but they're things that are dragging you back. Many of us are probably unaware that in our spiritual lives, in our life in Christ, we have been trying to run a marathon with a radiator chained to our leg. There are hindrances that come with being part of a fallen human race, regardless of the age in which we live. There are hindrances that are particular to our culture, our time and space. And there are hindrances that are particular to each one of us. I think the scariest part of the hindrances is that many of us don't realize that we have them. We don't realize that they're there. I broke my foot in college really bad, and because I was young and stupid, I didn't let it heal. And I just started walking on it, started driving on it, just kind of kept going until it felt normal, but it wasn't really normal. And so now I can tell when the weather changes, right? We become so used to these hindrances that we don't see them. And we think that if we can just avoid the big sins, eh, we're doing okay. You may not have a full-blown porn addiction. You may have never committed an act of domestic violence. You may have never stolen a thing in your entire life. But many of you are addicted to distraction. That little four-inch by two-inch glow stick that you carry around, it's amazing, isn't it? It keeps you from having to actually be alone and deal with the pain of just existing. It keeps you from having to endure anything. 
because you can just see whatever. Many of you are being weighed down by wealth. You've been lulled into a false sense of security by it, and you've constructed your identity on it. I'm the type of person that lives in this zip code and wears that brand of jeans and has that style of furniture. You think that wealth is propping up your life, but it's highly likely that it's more like that cartoon piano that just slipped off the cliff and there's a rope tied to it and you're realizing too late that the other end of the rope is tied to your leg. You're weighed down. Most of us continue to chase material and career success because we think that there's this other layer of satisfaction that's just waiting for us. And if we could just get there, oh man, it's going to be amazing. Jim Carrey once said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I mean, that guy made it, right? When you start out to be a comedian, you think, I want to make as much money and be as well-known as that guy. And yet when he got to the top, he looked around and he saw, there's nothing here. Friends, you are in a race. You are not alone. You're most likely weighed down. But you've got a founder and a finisher. This is the great paradox of the Christian life is that you are like Nzinga. You are a product of love. You didn't just will yourself into being. You're a product of the love of Christ. And yet, like her, you say that with sweat running down your face as you continue in the race, because his love pushes you into deeper endurance. You're in a marathon, and it requires endurance, desire, will, and guts. But the marathon has already been run and won by Christ. Christ has attained the prize. A few weeks ago, I begged you guys to set out onto Christ our ocean, to not be content anymore to simply look at the sun setting behind the water. I implored you to begin the arduous climb up into Christ our mountain rather than be content to hear about it from other hikers. But there's this incredible part. Christ is not just the mountain. He is the footpath. Christ is not just the ocean, he is the boat. Christ is not just the destination, he is the journey. He is the oxygen flowing through the lungs of the church, the blood of the sacrament that animates our every movement. He is the prize that we all seek and the eyes by which we can see it. He's everything. He is the author of this race and he's the author of your place in it. And he has already done all that is necessary to bring you to the end, to bring you to completion, to perfection in Him. So stop playing. Fix your eyes on Him. Fix them there. Get your head up into the cloud of witnesses. Stop staring at the dirt. Fix your eyes on Jesus like a man is pulling you off a ledge, like a bride is fixed on her groom from the minute she walks into the church. Fix your eyes on him. Quit playing and be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Stand up and put on the belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit at all times 
without ceasing. Keep alert. Forget the city of destruction that you left and strain forward to what lies ahead of you, which is the city of God. It is Christ, your true home. Press on in all of the striving that Christ himself strives in you. Fix your eyes on him, and you will experience a joy that is literally from another dimension. It's a joy from beyond the walls of the world. Christ, your founder and finisher, your footpath and prize, endured the cross and subverted its shame because of a joy that lied only on the other side of crucifixion. The joy of resurrection and ascension to his Father's right hand where he has been seated, is seated, and ever shall be seated, making intercession on your behalf. That you would keep running the race. You're in a race. You are not alone. You have been weighed down, but you have a founder and a finisher in Christ. And you are a child of God. We say that phrase so much in church, it has become almost meaningless. You are a child of God. When you grow weary and faint-hearted, fix your eyes on Christ and consider him. The writer tells us, consider him, meditate on him and all that he endured as the perfect lamb of God, his blood shed, his flesh ripped apart at the hands of sinners so that you might become the children of God. We're told to endure hardship as discipline, which only comes to legitimate children. Why? The writer tells us that we may share in his holiness, which is no small thing. Because the final verse of our lesson from the New Testament tells us, without holiness, no one will see God. And yet you have been brought into Christ, incorporated into his holiness. In the previous chapter in Hebrews, we're told of that great cloud of witnesses that they desired a better country, a heavenly one. And he goes on, he says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And that city is what is in view in Isaiah 35. And we will end with this poem of prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. This is it. This is the path and the destination. Okay? If you're in Christ, this is your country. Listen to your country. Listen to what it's like. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away.